There you go. That Nebraska helmet back there in the background. Oh, somebody noticed that. I love it. <laughs> I'm going to hey, Kevin, we're going to move that to Arkansas. They're ranked fifth now, man. Jesse's all jacked up. How about you, Jordan? Yeah, her ballers. Yeah. How we did it. <clears throat> Big game Saturday. Yeah. How's Nebraska doing this year? Are they any good? They're competing. <laughs> They're competing. They're competing. They, they had a rough start. Uh-huh. Yeah, I remember back in the heydays. I, I told you when I used to help up there some with Osborne and Turner Gill and some of them. I mean, that, that town was nuts. I mean, <clears throat> that whole town would be red. I mean, McDonald's work. I mean, everybody wearing red. It was crazy back <laughs> in those days. be fun to see that happen again. I'd say Scott Frost is definitely on the hot seat this season if he doesn't figure it out. I remember when they hired him and Todd was trying to tell me that the whole program was going to be turned her back around. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I just loved Osborne. So, yeah, you know, who knows? Funny. Yeah. So what do we got, man? I'm excited to, to learn more. Me too. Yeah, most definitely. <laughs> I hope somebody here has all the answers because I was just coming for the answers. I don't really have anything to offer. Kyle, I heard you on something else. I heard you had all the answers. So I thought thought we were all squared away. (laughs) I have opinions, not necessarily answers. Let's put it that way. There's no shortage of those in this this world. (laughs) Part of the marketplace world. Or this industry, that's for sure. Yeah, that's that's for sure. I think – I think everybody knows Jordan and uh, Todd who work for my team. Todd's going to take kind of the lead on this one. Um, I'll just let everyone know. I mean, we've had so many questions in the last year on this whole carbon market and how to play it and what the heck to do, what not to do. I mean, I feel like we're kind of taking this standard, uh, I guess, standard protocol here. I'm telling people, eh, be Larry on signing contracts. Be, I mean, I don't know. It's the same thing I hear most everywhere. But I, I don't, I don't have many answers for anyone either. There were a lot of, we've had a lot of interest in, in some folks wanting us to maybe help them pool some acres together, and then us take and we can market it directly to some of our sources and some of the people that we know that I may know that are CEOs of some bigger companies or sell it direct to Shopify or direct to Patagonia or direct to someone. I, But we haven't gained any traction on that act as hell. I just think we don't know what the hell we're doing yet to uh, – I mean, we, we just don't know enough to be dangerous. So, uh, I think Todd's been doing some deeper dives. Yeah, Todd's been doing some deeper dives for us to try and figure some stuff out, and hopefully he can introduce you guys, and maybe you guys can give us uh, some insight. And, heck, I, I – I'm all about help. My whole my whole motto, I had a coach one time tell me, here's the deal. You got two ways. Here's your challenge. You got two ways to build the biggest building in town. All right? My kid's probably heard this so many times he wants to pee. Um, and he said, you can go around and knock everybody else's building down, then yours is the tallest. Or you can go around and help everybody else build their building, and then when it's time to build yours, yours will be the tallest. And so I've tried to help other people and pass along info, and I, you know, I don't know if there's anything to gain, uh, you know, by all this directly from this, but I hope longer term this helps everyone on the call and we help other people build their buildings and help them learn more. And in return, it'll all circle back. So I, I certainly appreciate from our family, uh, you guys all being on here and everyone sharing their knowledge and being open. 
and uh, I hope the listeners do, and I'm sure they will appreciate it as well. So I wanted to say that up front. I appreciate your guys' time and, and effort. So thank you, and Todd, I'll turn it over. Thanks, Kevin. I'm just going to go by my screen and let folks introduce themselves uh, top to bottom. So Ben, we'll start with you, Ben Gordon. Yeah, Ben Gordon. I lead uh, Carbon and Ecosystem Services for Corteva, uh, North Dakota kid, and uh, made my way back into ag after uh, some time in the military and some time in consulting. Uh, been with Corteva a little over three years. Thank you, Robert. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a serial entrepreneur. This is my eighth startup company, and uh, primarily in the high tech area. This particular uh, venture with Prairie Food which is a microcarbon company was, was, was born out of, uh, out of my customers asking for some help in the carbon markets. So we're, we're kind of a low profile company. We don't go out and, you know, toot our horn a heck of a lot. Um, we do it the old Missouri way, you know, show me. If you like my product, keep buying it. And uh, so far people like it. Yeah, I look forward to hearing more about that. Tom, go ahead. Yeah, Tom Daniel. I'm the uh, sustainable director, sustainable ag director for Nutrinag Solutions. Uh, focus right now is in North America, both the U.S. and in Canada. Um, guys, we'll, we'll answer as many questions as you want to around carbon. As Ben knows, this has been a year of learning is the way I describe 2021. And so now the question is, what do we do with this year of learning we've had in, in moving forward? Right. So we'll have an interesting discussion today, I'm sure. Well, and I think part of that learning that you guys have gone through is hopefully shortcut some of the learning our growers got to go through. So we want to hear it. Caleb. Yeah. So Caleb Smith, I'm uh, out of East Central Indiana in Newcastle um, for Agoro Carbon. I'm an agronomist focusing on the uh, East Corn Eastern Corn Belt. Um, I've been with Agoro for a little over five months now, which is about as old as Agoro is. So, um, yeah, my background is in soil carbon and I did my master's at Purdue and uh, studied how different regenerative systems sort of affect soil carbon. Awesome. Kyle, welcome and uh, thank you. And let us know a little about you. Yeah, uh, Kyle Maiman. Uh, I'm a farmer here in Northeast Iowa. Uh, spent some time uh, right I got a, after I got out of college at uh, Bear Crop Science. So I got a little industry experience there and then uh, came back to the farm uh, after, after being uh, kind of all over the country. But um, my, I guess, MO is, uh, uh, I, I you know, corn was 320 and I didn't know what to do, how my farm was going to survive. And I was like, man, we've got to generate some revenue with uh, something without spending any more money. And uh, about two years ago, started diving into this deal. And uh, as a result, I've uh, decided to, along the line of, of piloting four different uh, companies, uh, carbon programs. And uh, apparently that gives me a unique perspective because people keep asking for it. So um, uh, along the way here, I've gotten to uh, uh, where I'm, I'm answering probably calls three or four days a week and even started a little, uh, a little side hustle a consulting business around this because, uh, man, I, I would just spend a lot of time doing this deal. So, um, yeah, I'm, but I'm here to learn. Uh, I, I probably have more stories about what not to do than what to do, but uh, sometimes that's, that's, that's half the pudding pie right there. No, that's definitely implied, and we appreciate that perspective and definitely going to want to hear that. Uh, Kevin, you got anywhere you want to start in particular? I just got, I'll be honest with you, in the last two weeks since we set this up, I've been continuing my deep dive, as Kevin calls it, and I'm glad he prefaced it with, we may have more questions and answers when we're done, because I'm still learning stuff about the whole process. And I guess to start, unless you guys want to go to the direction, I just want to hear if uh, we here constantly don't do it now don't do it now obviously 
is it going to benefit not to do it now, benefit to do it now? I know you guys just got your own programs. You want people to sign up, but what's a farmer to do? What's the benefit to waiting? And should he jump in now? And what? And Kyle, we'll start with, I want to start with Kyle because he'd been there and done pilots. And then we'll just, you got an answer when he's done, fire up. You bet. So I guess my answer to that question so far has been um, to, to jump on in here because I, I'm not sure if the carbon market is higher, the carbon market is low, but all I know is if I can get somebody to write me check sooner rather than later, that's more money than I had yesterday. Okay. I don't know if I, what I'm going to get in the future, but whatever, uh, whatever money I, I get, or I don't want that to seem greedy. I, I maybe say that, please edit that out and make that correct, uh, politically correct. But uh, you understand what I'm trying to get at is the fact that um, I just wanted to see a way that uh, I could understand this market and, and then also uh, uh, through the, the lens of, of several different companies. And uh, I guess so I'm, I've, I've gotten on board and said that I'm, I'm a guy that I'm going to jump into this a bit. But one thing that I have been uh, the question that I've asked of all four companies that I do deal with is that help me understand the exit strategy. So a long time ago, my grandpa taught me that uh, never get into something that you don't know what it's going to look like to get out of it. And so um, that, that's really where I've tried to tried to pair up. And now, not that uh, any company ever wants you to leave their system, but, uh, you know, most of the companies that I've paired with, uh, or if I've gone into it, I've gone to, into it knowing that, um, you know, after a year, I can drop out of this thing. They're not going to be particularly happy, but uh, I, can, I can move on if there is a better option. So uh, my answer has been to, to jump on in with both feet. And uh, believe it or not, guys, uh, I, I thought I was, uh, I think I, I said this before, but I um, I, 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 I mean, you can consider me a Yeti, a mythical creature, but I am a grower that has actually been paid from three different companies for carbon sequestration. I always thought that was a mythical beast. Didn't think that those people probably existed, but uh, as of this past month, I, I actually am that person. So um, this is a real program. And, it, and, and I always tell people, even in the event that um, you think that the jumping in early here may be uh, detrimental, you know what, a, a big number times a small number ends up being a significant number. So if you think it's too small yet here to start, um, uh, take a look at programs that maybe are a vast uh, off of historical credits, because to me, historical credits are just like the whipped cream on the top of a cake. Uh, that's that's just gravy. Uh, so, um, yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at, guys. I'm a guy that I say uh, to, to to at least get your feet wet. Not saying you got to do everything right now, but I, I think it's important if you're going to play in this market you need to get your feet wet because it takes you a year to understand what the heck you're really doing anyway. So did I hear you correctly saying you did get historical monetization? I did. I oh, wait, did. am I allowed to ask you what, cause that, that, that whole additionality thing is something that's, uh, I just got off the phone with Mitchell Horrock and continuing ag and he said they're working on that and stuff. So there is, that's out there. Cause that's a big, Thing that people that, are talking about. That's out there. It was it was uh, offered um, in uh, 2020 uh, in, in a pilot, and because I'm part of that pilot, obviously I'm, I keep feeding that. But I put uh, I have five years worth of uh, worth of historical credits. They were vintage 2015 to 2020 that we just uh, went through the entire process, got them on the marketplace, and uh, a buyer came through and sold them. And that is, uh, I'll, I'll tell you. I, one thing I will tell you, I probably not, I'm not going to uh, run down any, any given company or prop up one given company, but I will tell you the ones that I'm working with. Um, and Nori is the one that I sold the historical credits through. Thank you. Yeah, that's good. That's the first I heard of that. And, and we'll probably get into that a little bit more. Ben, what's uh, from your guys' perspective, what are you seeing and what would you recommend? 
Um, I mean, first of all, I'd say it depends. So just like anything else, whether it's grain marketing or agronomy, like it has to be the right fit for an operation. So I'd say if if you see agronomic benefit in these practices and it's close to penciling out and then it pencils out with a carbon payment, then yes, now is the time because you don't want to wait for that additionality to essentially, you know, the train to go by and you're not going to be, be able to be into those markets or be into those premium ones. So if you're in kind of that practice adoption window for the right reasons, agronomy, 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 lend this talk about carbon, then I think, you know, now is certainly the right time because there's actually a cost to waiting. Um, if you're just, you know, signing up these for starting one of these practices for a carbon program, I don't know of a carbon program that's paying enough today for that to make sense. So I actively tell my folks if they're just signing up a, you know, for a carbon program by itself, that's why they're going to do the practice. No, like try it. Do not sign them up. I mean, obviously we'll listen to farmers, but it's just not the right answer. Um, yeah. And and I was just gonna say the, the, other, the other thing that I think, you know, Kyle pointed out is just, you know, if we're talking about that upside, you need to know what pricing looks like in three, four, five, ten 10 years, um, as well as that, those out clauses. So it's, you know, how do you take advantage of the upside, but make sure you're protecting the downside, just like anyone does in the rest of their operation. Yeah, just same, just to parallel that, what we always tell growers that are interested in our program is, you know, it's good to go out there and explore your options. It's, it's, and what other you know world would you go look at only one company? It's we always tell them go out explore what's best for you because I always say if you've been to one farm you've, you've been to one farm because they're all so different and they all operate so differently. So um, it's it's critical that you go out and you explore your options with the different companies. And let me just jump into this question and anybody can jump in there. Can guys go direct? I mean, I, you know, I don't know if you've seen that Wilmot cattle farm in Australia that sold half a million dollars worth of carbon credits to Microsoft and uh, now granted they're big owned by wealthy individual, but is that something that they don't need all you guys programs? They can go get a project to develop themselves and do it themselves. Does that not make sense? Anybody got any insight on that? I think so. That's good. Oh, excuse me. Go ahead, Caleb. Oh, go for it, Tom. You beat me to it. No, no, there are companies, especially around, uh, we, we've had some contact with some large dairy operations and some, uh, uh, beef operations that are actually doing some uh, uh, livestock uh, credits and things around, and they're actually working with municipalities and cities and different things and selling credits. So yeah, that does occur. And, and to be honest with you, the, the, the program that Kyle designed or described with Nori is somewhat that because that is a, where a buyer and seller have come together with a middle person like Nori and agree to the terms of the sale of a carbon. So that, that technically, uh, Todd, is a definition too, right? Uh, you, could a farmer you go and do something without a middleman? Yes, they probably could. But um, I think the one thing that we're going to have to all address, though, guys, eventually is there are, there are going to be rules that are, that are going to guide these markets. And so one of the things we focused on heavily is that there are, there's going to be different levels of, um, I'm going to call it quality around a carbon credit. Uh, and eventually I think you'll see value changes in the marketplace based upon quality. So uh, today there's too many, there's a lot of unknowns around carbon. Uh, there's a lot of unknowns about what's going to be required uh, for certain companies to be able to purchase carbon and claim it on their ESG reporting. So I think there's a lot of unknowns yet, but I will say this, there eventually we'll get this figured out. It may be a while yet before that happens, but eventually it's going to get figured out and these markets will, um, I'll, I'll just call it, will stabilize because we'll have some understandings of what really 
has to happen for a carbon credit to be generated. A lot of the payments today, uh, as Kyle described, is where a buyer and a seller agree to a term and they, they sell credits. Is that credit verified or has it been validated by one of the registries? Probably not. Uh, but with that said, you still, as Kyle said, he still has a check in his back pocket, and that's a good thing. Uh, so there's nothing wrong with that, right? I did have a grower call me just uh, last week, and he asked me the question. He said, uh, I'm wanting to enroll in a carbon project. He said, um, uh, what would you recommend? And I said, well, my first question is, are you currently a no-tiller or a cover cropper, and, and what are you looking for? So this particular farmer was. He was already engaged heavily in those two things. Then for him to get paid, he almost has to look at a vintage payment process like Kyle mentioned, right? And whether that's Nori or Bear or some other products, I think Truterra has a product today that does vintage. Um, those are products that are things that are available to you and that, that you could participate in. But my comment to him was, uh, if he was going to implement, I said, why did you implement those practices? And he said, because they made return on investment sense for my farm. Soil health, quality water efficiency, all the things that give us uh, around uh, that carbon, actually carbon sequestering gives us as a benefit. And he said, I made them for, uh, for improving my farm operation. He made the right decision. Don't make a decision to plant cover crops based upon whether or not I'm going to get a payment for carbon. That's the wrong decision. It's long-term investment on the farm that we need to concentrate on. Well, let me jump in and ask and pull Robert into the conversation because we've had many uh, talks and, and I'm still trying to figure this out. If, if every car, if, if carbon credits are a commodity or each the same and, and Robert share what, what, cause you guys, you guys are doing something uh, with carbon, aren't you? Robert? Uh, yeah, we are. We haven't announced it officially yet, but we, we, we're getting into the, the carbon program just because our customers are, are asking us to do so. And the, and what's been said so far is so accurate. I mean, Kyle and, and, uh, and Dan, and it, it, without validation uh, going forward, a long-term carbon program is going to be tough to be put in place. And I think uh, getting validated credits through the existing uh, existing mechanisms are difficult to do because they're primarily based on forestry type products and uh, have no history really with ag. Uh, where you're utilizing, and I think most of the, the credit programs out there right now are farming practice based. We're product based, we're not farming practice based. We don't particularly care if you'd have farming practices or not. We know that if you do good farming practices, you increase your SOM quicker with our product. And that's, that's what happened with the reason why we got drug into it. A byproduct of what we do is increasing SOM an order of magnitude quicker than what's typically done through farming practices. And uh, our farmers said, look, we, we want to get paid for the real SOM that we're making here. We don't want to get paid for farming practices. We want to go out, and if, if we want to grow pigweed, we'll grow pigweed. If we want to cultivate every other week, we'll cultivate every other week. But what we really want to do is if we raise our SOM in one crop cycle, 1%, we want to get paid for it. And that's what we want to do. And so that's the way we approached it was, well, is that possible to do or not? And if it is going to be possible to do, what's the best way to do it? And it's, it's not through some 
some trial pilot program that Microsoft has an offtake on that might pay, uh, pay you in, in crypto credits or something along those lines. What you really want to do is a valid program where you get paid in cash and you measure the amount of SOM that you increase in one crop cycle. And when that happens, you fix the base. Now I've committed to an SOM that I'm going to have to live with going forward or increase going forward. Because if I ding it, if I go down, I'm going to, have to pay it back. And that's part of the problem that, that people really don't understand when, you, when you're working off of a program that's based on, on uh, practices, you're really work, working on forecast and academic theory and a hundred year program. And you know, if a tree grows 40 feet tall over a hundred years in a four inch topsoil, it's, it's gonna get you know, one-tenth of 1% 1 of carbon per year if you don't burn it down. And uh, so that's where, where these carbon programs have come from. And, and the rest of the world with this cap and trade and things are, are having a different market than what we're experiencing. But we're on our way to that. And I really think, uh, think it's important, as, as Dan said, some of these, these legacy credits, you know, for seven, $7 uh, uh, a ton carbon, and today, there's some people paying $20 a ton carbon right now in the United States. Uh, our, our, our certified credit is, is at $15 a ton. But the increases we're getting are not one-tenth of 1% 1 per year. They're 1% per year or more. In, in, in some cases, our best case to date is 2.4% in one crop cycle. And that turns into a 320 $1.80 per acre credit on 133.2 acres of alfalfa. And all of a sudden the farmer goes, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, and, and how can I raise that more? Well, if you do the farming practices, if you have a cover crop, if you, if you do a no-till, if you cover the soil, if you do those principal things, it increases how quickly the SOM moves up, especially when you utilize the pure carbon, which is what we're doing in order to move that up. So the reason we got in was strictly because our customers asked us to. They saw those increases in elemental carbon in the SOM and they wanted to get paid for it. And what I told them was, I don't mind taking arrows. I've done it all my life. I'm an entrepreneur. I'll jump in. But all the payments going to you, it's not going to us. But I'm going to have a third party that validates it. Because I'm not going to go out and validate this crap because I can't afford to do that. And I can't, I can't have that liability. But a company that's out there or a process like Avera or someone else along those lines that will validate the amount of carbon, uh, then we're happy to work with because those people that are selling those carbons into those markets worldwide and around the United States are the ones that, that have to validate those. And as it turns out, our product all of a sudden has a higher, as, as you kind of put ahead of more value credit than many that are on the market because of the amount of increase and it's validated by soil tests. We do four soil tests per crop cycle. Let me, not, not let me four times you. every two years. So we know exactly how much carbon was, was there before, during, after, and after harvest. And that's uh, what we base it on. That, that's pretty exciting stuff compared to the numbers that we've been hearing. But 
just so we're clear uh, with all the programs out there, and, and maybe Kyle, since you've been through it, or, or Caleb, since you started a new one, I don't know how much you know about the development, but there's tiers to this. I mean, you got to have a, a project developer and a verifier. I, I mean, I, this is what I finally got sorted out after weeks. And so a farmer may see that a company XYZ is in the business. He just doesn't like that person. They're just, most of those are just aggregators. Am I, am I correct? I mean, people are just putting together acres, but they got to go get a person to put together protocols, whether it be just what I call tier one, just changing your practice, and then tier two actually sequestering carbon and, and measuring it. So, yes. Let, let's, before I get off the subject, Robert just gave a good, good little spiel and rant. For all of us, uh, I guess, uh, <laughs> Robert, we're not, I shouldn't say excuse our ignorance or pardon what we don't know. Explain to the crowd what, what, what exactly, Todd's tried to explain to me before, but I don't, hell, I don't think he knows for sure what he's talking about. What, uh, <laughs> what exactly is Prairie Foods do? I, I mean, are you guys like your strategic edge is you're located around feedlots and then you're using, what, what is it that you guys can talk? What are you doing to, to help these people? I don't, I honestly don't know for sure. Well, there, there's a couple of things. And, and SOM, as I said, is a byproduct of what we do. And we had no, we don't even have a line item for revenue on it. Um, what we do is we take waste biomass and deconstruct it down to the molecular level and then reconstruct it into a substance we call prairie food. And essentially what that is, is organically bound carbon, nitrogen, and phosphorus, and all the micronutrients wrapped around it. So what that does is it puts carbon in back into the soil, essentially, but it does it in a way that it's not available to the plant. It's only available to the microbiome. So the microbes got to eat it and poop it out before the plant can, can take it up or, or they have to mineralize it, I think is the correct term nowadays, uh, in order for it to for go that direction. And uh, so what we do is, is our plants are small. In, in Europe, we use a process called hydrothermal processing in order to make that chemistry happen. In Europe, they've done that for years. And it's terrestrial coal is what they're making over there to burn in their electric plants. The nice part about it is it's carbon neutral for them. So they have a nice carbon credit, $200 a ton. It costs them 174 bucks a ton to make it. So they make 30 bucks over in Europe. In the United States, we don't have that. And so we've got to be competitive with $25 a ton coal if we're going to provide a terrestrial coal that's carbon neutral. And as low as we could get the price down was about 94 bucks a ton. And we decided to give up on that. And that's when we found out if you put it in the soil, it does amazing things to, uh, to the soil, like increasing the SOM dramatically, increasing yield on corn 20% across the cross. Doesn't matter what the soil type is as well. So what, what essentially we're doing is speeding up mother nature. And I think the best way, the best response that, I, that, that I've been able to get on, on why that's important is <clears throat> if I was talking to uh, one of these associations, the Corn Growers Association the other day, and I, I, picked a, I picked a leaf off a tree and brought it in and said, well, how old is this leaf? You know. They go, oh, well, hell, that's probably six, seven months old. You know, it's right off that tree right outside. And I said, yeah, that leaf is probably, you know, in its form factor, six or seven months old, but the molecules in there are four billion years old. And they've been around that long. Where the hell have they been? Oh, 
Well, hell, they, they went into the cycle. They fell off the tree. They, they went into the soil. They eventually got covered up by oceans and pressurized and turned into fossil fuel. And then eventually it came back out and they, they fertilized this stuff. And Well, how long does that process take? Well, about 300 million years. Well, yeah, it does. And where is all that stuff during that 300 million years? Well, it's all over. Well, yeah, it is. Well, what if you could speed that process up? And in that 50 mile radius around where uh, that feedlot is or that ethanol plant or whatever that waste biomass is you're using, you just reuse the molecules that were already there. And instead of taking 300 million years to convert them back to organically bound carbon and nitrogen and, and phosphate, uh, it took one second. Yeah, interesting. Well, no, interesting. How do you do that? Well, you do it with hydrothermal processing and our patented process. That's how we do it. And what we found out was we don't want to sell it for fuel. Okay. We want to put it back in the soil because that's where it does the most good. And uh, what we what we found is is those those plants that we have are not $200 million plants like they are in Europe. Our plants are less than 5 million. So we have a distributive process. So we can put a plant within a, within a, a 50 mile radius, which is what, 5,100,000 acres, which in, in, in Kansas, about, about 3 million of that is ag ground, about 2 million of that is row crops. And we're kind of targeting those row crop guys, okay, is where we're targeting. And so what we want to do is go replace synthetic fertilizers, we want to go replace synthetic fuel at some point in the in the future, because what we've done is we've broken the price barrier on getting it out. We don't have to wait for it to go 300 million years in the ground, then go drill it and pump it out and move it over here, crack it, break it down, then ship it out to the farm and put it on the ground. What we do is we make it right where the biomass waste is, and we reuse it within that 50 mile radius. So now our cost of input is much less. So we have a $2.35 per gallon product where we put 40 gallons down per year, 94 bucks an acre. We include four Haney tests with that, okay? And we still have an EBITDA of 55%. So you know our cost of, 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 of processing that, that biomass is very low. So our costs are below, you know, below a nickel for our inputs. So all of a sudden we're, we're quite profitable and we can do it very quickly. And the, the, the great result of that is, is that the, 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 re, the reaction we get is we get an increase in soil health, an increase in SOM. We have all the micronutrients. You don't need to put any NPK, sulfur, zinc. It's all there. You don't need it. To begin the, the first stops, you, you, you it's like what, what, what dirt to soil, what Gabe Brown said originally is, you know, you can't take an attic off heroin overnight. And our farmers are addicted to nitrogen, you know, and, 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 you, and they've taken the SOM here, what was over 10 or 15% when Lewis and Clark came across. They've taken it all the way down in Kansas. The average is 1.5% SOM. They've totally destroyed the ground. So what we got to do is slowly get that SOM back up but we like to do it quickly, not slowly. You know, get it up to five, 
and you don't need it anymore. And after seven, hell, you don't need us anymore. And we don't care. What we want you to do is get good, healthy soil and make a decent profit. So at 94 bucks an acre, we're 40% below synthetic fertilizers, yeah. you know, right off the bat. And uh, cool. that, what that does for, for a farmer is that puts profit in his pot, pot, pocket. And a 20% increase in yield over his best practices with synthetics, you know. Well, that's another, what's corn six bucks, 200 bushel corn, 20% is another 40 bushel an acre. You know, that puts profit in his pockets. I agree. And that's why they come back and buy it again. Right. I suspect Tom, I have my friends at Nutrient doing what <laughs> we're, we're going to be on the call. How are you guys doing with the, the less fertilizer? And, the, you know, what are you guys' thoughts on all this? How, well, believe it or not, uh, that's... Yeah. From a from a sustainability point of view, Kevin, that's exactly what we do focus on. So uh, I'm not I, I don't know the science around Robert's product at all, but uh, we produce. Obviously, we're one of the largest producers for synthetic fertilizers, and uh, uh, we're looking for ways to reduce environmental exposure uh, to synthetic fertilizers. So right time, right placement, right product. Uh, the four R's are something we're going to focus on very heavily. Uh, and we're going to look at, uh, especially around delivery systems, how can we reduce the amount of uh, fertilizer that we're using, and but at the same time increase productivity. So as Robert said, one of their key focuses, they want to focus on increasing yield because one of the, uh, the, the leadership in our group, our team at Nutrient is telling us every day, that we have the responsibility to help feed the world. And so we have to increase the amount of food production that we have. So a lot of times people think about sustainability as doing more with less, and that's true, but we wanna be sure that we always concentrate on the more, uh, that we're gonna be able to uh, continue to have, uh, uh, create the yield that we need to, to feed, feed this growing population. But when it comes to uh, fertilizers and synthetics and organics and all those type things, it's all a system. It's not a yes. single product or a single thing that we focus on. It's a system. So uh, we have organic products that we have. Uh, uh, we have humus and, and, and fulvix in our lineup that we use every day that gives us optimization of, of fertilizers. And so we focus on those things. And so a lot of people find it odd that uh, Nutrient would be focused on selling less fertilizer. Well, we want to sell fertilizer because that's what we do, but we want to do it in the right way. And we want to make sure that the fertilizer we apply on a given acre stays with the crop it's being applied to and is being used by the crop in the year that we apply it. We don't want to be applying things to a farm that end up in streams and rivers and cause us issues. So the whole idea is how do we, how do we maximize what we do uh, and give the less environmental exposure that we can give so that we can continue, though, at the same time and produce the food we need to produce. So, look, I'm all about sustainability, and, and sustainability is about making sure the acre uh, is left in better shape, not the same shape, right. but shape for the next generation than it is for our generation. I tell this story all the time. Uh, my dad, I grew up, I'm a I grew up on a farm in Kentucky. I live on the same farm that I grew up on the family farm. So, uh, and we still, we still have uh, cattle and uh, row crop that's grown on the farm today. 
my dad told me back uh, years ago, he said, son, we, nobody's making new soil. And he said, if you don't take care of this, he said, then your son and their son won't have an opportunity to farm it. And he said, so we have to take care of everything we do. So I take that to, I take that to task every day when I go to the field. Yeah, Just one I, thing. I, my- I, yeah, go ahead. I, I appreciate that, that comment. And I think we learned that last week talking with, uh, when we were talking with Grant Wells, he was talking a lot about, Grant moves a lot of fertilizer too, but he's talking about reallocation of, of money. Um, Exactly. Tom, like you're, you know, you may have to just, you know, back off some things and reallocate into into things that are going to work the microbes or work whatever it may be to uh, get a better bang for your buck and and help sustainability. I think everyone, I think it's a link that we all have across the board. Whether you drive green or red, or you buy nutrient, or you buy Simpla, or you buy Pioneer seed, or you buy, we all want to leave the farm to our families and let our kids enjoy that lifestyle and live that lifestyle we had. So I don't see anyone that I, you know, nobody I don't think is out there trying to just tear the shit out of their farm and and leave it in worse condition. I think everyone's trying to dial in and, and, and make the profitability they can make and still leave the farm in better condition than they did. And that's a, it's a different combination for everyone. I think like, uh, you know, like, like Ben said early on, I, I, Every operation may need, need to dial the code a little differently and, and create a process that really works for them and their family. So I think there, there are just so many great opportunities and options. That's why I love having the different perspectives and the different uh, looks. So I, I think that's awesome. So, Todd, I'll let you get back on track, and I'll shut up. Yeah. I just got a few more things. I want to, Let's go ahead and uh, – since we got uh, guys with specific programs on there, Ben, start with you and just um, give us a rundown uh, of your program because everyone's going to be a little different. We can ask questions if we want to afterwards, but what's, uh, what's Cortiva doing? Yeah, so we, we focus on the farmer in terms of simplicity, flexibility, and confidence. So we have two programs, one through ESMC, that we have a, a great partnership with uh, Mr. Daniel and Nutrien on uh, as well, as well as the program with Indigo Egg. Um, when we look at this, it's just too darn complicated for a farmer to go out and, and do everything on their own. So provide an easy digital tool, easy way to make it uh, explainable, but most importantly, simplify the contract, guarantee you 75% of the credit down the road give you a minimum minimum payment um, and then give you all the support. So there's a human in the loop for what's what's a paperwork intensive process today. Um, and then, you know, more broadly, just try to focus on that on that agronomy through our both our retail channels and Pioneer. So, again, just trying to you know, we're kind of doing the standard carbon program, making it simple and then providing all the tools on the farm gate and not focusing as much downstream because as Corteva, like for, for us in, in all reality, it's about supporting that farmer uh, more holistically than it is about just carbon um, as you know, it's only picture. So your, your program does actually have carbon sequestration involved. It's not just a practice change. Correct. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, for us, what, what we really focus on are third party certified uh, uh, credits. Um, so that means that, you know, there, there has to be a buyer that we believe, not just today, but in five years and in 10 years. And you need to have that registry certification like Tom was alluding to before. Um, otherwise, you just don't know who that buyer is going to be. It, it could be snake oil. The other thing is we really want to align our incentives. So one of the reasons we're not doing everything in the whole program is I want to be on the same side of the table as a farmer. And so for me to make more money, that farmer's going to make a heck of a lot more money than I'm going to make. And so that's why we guarantee that 75% because I don't want to be counterparty and I don't want to put any of my sales folks uh, and make them, uh, you know, the perception that they're going to you know, be screwing over the farmer on carbon pricing. All right. Thank you. Tom, what about you guys? Nutrient. 
So uh, our 2021 year of learning, as I just called it a minute ago, has been really focused on nine different pilots that we, we've had. Uh, we've got over uh, 200,000 acres enrolled in uh, different carbon pilots with, with different platforms. As Ben mentioned, we have a project in Indiana with Corteva uh, that uh, we've been working with them uh, with an ESMC pilot. Uh, we also have another ESMC pilot in Iowa that we're working with Syngenta on as a partner. And we have a pilot in uh, the Chesapeake area uh, with, uh, with uh, BASF. So we've got multiple partners that we're working with. Uh, we don't believe we have the answer to this on our own. So we're involving different people in the process and, and learning. Uh, one of the key learnings that we have is we have a lot of grower engagement. We have over a half million customers uh, over the over uh, nutrients uh, scope, and we want to make sure that the information we give them, just like what Ben said, we want to make sure we're as accurate as we can be on what we share with them. Because if if we we don't want to lose a customer over a carbon program, that wouldn't make sense. That's not our core business but we want to make sure that we're giving the best advice to our farmers we can. So we're working with the Soil and Water Outcome Fund in Illinois and Ohio, um, and that that uh, is a double-stacked credit program. So we're not only paying on carbon, but we're also tracking water quality credits, which we think is going to be the next place for growers to participate. Where the, the same practices are initiating on the farm really apply to multiple ecosystem payments outside of just carbon. So we think that water is going to be water quality, water efficiency will be another opportunity for growers to get payments. So we actually have a double stack program, ecosystem payment in Illinois and Ohio. And then we're working uh, different, uh, uh, several pilots in Canada today. As we know, on this call, we talked Canada is a regulated carbon market. And so that's entirely different from what we deal, deal with in the U.S., as we have a voluntary market in the U.S. So significant differences on how you do that and, and how it's regulated. So we, we just had that year of learning with our Canadian counterparts too. So that's kind of what we've been focused on. Caleb, you guys kind of came out from a different perspective. Cheers. Uh, how you guys got started, how Agora got started, what you're doing. Yeah, so Agora was launched in June of this year by Yara International. And Yara International is based out of Norway. They're one of the world's largest uh, um, producers of synthetic nitrogen fertilizer. And, you know, what Agoro is really trying to do in this market is, is really be uh, carbon and other ecosystem services uh, focused. So we don't have any, we don't have to sell Yara's products. I couldn't even tell you a lot of the products that Yara sells. You know, we don't have anything else to sell. What we are trying to be is we're trying to be the, the carbon experts. Um, and we use, uh, so Vera's verified carbon standard as our, uh, as our standard and as our registry. Um, and with that comes multiple different practices that could be applicable for you to enter our program. Um, and, you know, we want to ultimately be flexible because what we knew a year ago is, is totally different from what we know now in terms of how this market's going to work. And not just in terms of the carbon market, but if we think of the foundation of all of this is the science of soil carbon. And the science of soil carbon is changing all the time. I'm sure most of us were taught the hummus theory of, of how soil carbon accumulates and, and the mechanisms of soil carbon storage involved. Um, you know, the, the bin product is being this hummus that's completely recalcitrant, but thanks to modern spectroscopy, we actually know that hummus doesn't exist. So, you know, what soil scientists think they, they know about soil carbon is always changing. And we really want to be at the forefront of that. Um, and, you know, right now we offer methodologies that are, uh, we offer practices that are, you know, pretty similar to the, all the other companies, cover crops, uh, nitrogen management, 
So this would be, you know, going from a blanket application to a split application or using some sort of nitrification inhibitor, um, you know, grazing management. But in the future, we, we want to work to get new methodologies approved to be able to maximize the amount of uh, growers that are able to participate in this market. Because, you know, one thing that I really hate to explain to growers is the concept of additionality. It frustrates everyone involved. And I know that Ben and Tom, you've all and, you know, anyone in this market has had to explain the concept of additionality and been very frustrated with it. So, you know, ultimately what we want to do is be flexible with the grower, um, you know, get, give the grower all the agronomic advice that he needs. Um, you know, that's really where, where we're focused. Cool. Colin, let me turn to you to discuss real quick on that uh, additionality thing that I want you just to touch quickly. Uh, Kevin hates when I use the word data, but uh, I understand there's severe amounts of data that needs gathered here because of all the verification processes. But can you share the, uh, with the growers listening what the additionality means and, and how that affects making a choice? Well, um, so I, I think the definition of additionality as actually being uh, is a little bit uh, a fluid, a, a fluid definition as we as we go through this market a little bit uh, because of the of the registries and the verifiers, right? And so I guess one thing I guess I would say, and this isn't specifically answering your question as an additionality, but I do think that it will answer a little bit of uh, my. my my theory on where I think this market could go is I honestly see a, a time in the market here where we would have a tiered uh, different tiers of, of, of credits that are available. And, uh, and so depending on what data backs them and what, what uh, maybe standard that they're set against. And the reason I say that is that there are probably different buyers for different, different credits because of that uh, specific, uh, uh, a data requirement or, or, uh, or practice requirement or, or change requirement or whether or not they're historical credits or they're fresh credits or um, I think there's, there's an opportunity for that along the way. But until there is, um, until the industry in general uh, get some things sorted out, uh, if it's Vera or if it's the gold standard or it doesn't matter who it is, I mean, we've got to get uh, off of, uh, I, I, I get a little bit frustrated about why did we? Why are we at this point here, where these folks are are have basically set the rules for what the marketplace will be based on uh, a twenty five year old hi uh, historical forestry uh, equation? Uh, it doesn't even make any sense. Uh, but but in in the in the event of not having a a correct row crop standard developed, um, you know, this is where we're at, right? And, and, and so the buyers of the world go to say, well, I'm not going to buy something that's not verified by some third party, third party source. And who is out there? Well, the, these folks are out there. And I'm not, these are fine folks. I'm not, I'm not discrediting them a bit, but I just don't see how it's, how it's scalable to um, be able to sequester amount of carbon that is needed in this <laughs> around um, uh, the, the goals, of, the sustainability goals of, of many of the industry, much in the industry, that how are we going to get enough scale of this without maybe revisiting the the, the verifiers and the standard that by which uh, we are we are calculating this? And I, I think a big piece of this too, guys, that we're we're skipping and missing a bit is that carbon is a is a very difficult thing to measure, and it's a very very you know there's it's a very uh, labor intensive. Um, uh, carbon producing uh, act to actually measure this darn stuff. Uh, something we're not even talking about are the other greenhouse gases that might even be more problematic and are maybe even easier to, to uh, measure. Things like nitrous oxide, 
Um, so I, I think that I think we're on the cusp of where where a lot of these things will change and and be different. And maybe that's why I I mentioned before that I'm an early adopter in this because uh, I, I I think that they that credits are undervalued today. Don't get me wrong, I, I absolutely do. But I think that you've got to get into this to be able to understand it, so that um, when the next thing comes, you're you're we're, as a grower, you're able to uh, participate in that. Uh, I, I want to talk about data a lot. Um, something I noted I, I noted was uh, when I advise any of my my farmer friends is that if you want to participate in a program or not get yourself ready to participate in a program so if you are a shoebox guy that has your stuff in a shoebox man get it on a spreadsheet and if you're a spreadsheet guy get it into a, a farm management system you know a granular or a conservice or whatever it might be and if you're if you're a guy that's already in that system um, start talking to folks about apis about um, how this data can transfer between systems because it, this is not going to get easier. It's probably going to get harder, especially if, think, if we think we're going to scale with the current registries that are available in the market. Um, that didn't answer hardly a darn thing about additionality, but I, I was wanting to maybe just explain that a bit because I, I do feel like the buyers of the credits have a unrealistic view about what it will take for farmers to create these credits, right? I think they just see it as, um, you know, here's the practices you do, implement these practices, and it's a linear distribution as to, you know, the world being perfect. And it, it, it is not, it's not. I mean, a farmer can mess with uh, these practices for a lifetime and not have them figured out. Um, uh, guys, guys uh, we, we've, been, we've been playing, piloting with, uh, with um, regenerative practices for quite a while. And so we just get hit with a, a new, a new, um, problem just this spring that my dad never experienced in 43 years of, of, of farming is that every acre that we had a cover crop on this spring, we had a light frost come through uh, a Memorial Day weekend and every acre that had a cover crop on it killed it dead. It was an easy decision to replant because every cover crop acre had a, the, the entire crop was dead. Where I didn't have a cover crop was just fine. Okay, so mm -hmm. that would be a setback. That is certainly not linear. <laughs> yeah. And so I just, I, I, I get frustrated with um, maybe the buyer's perspective on this a little bit because it's just, just like A plus B automatically equals C. And I, I certainly don't believe that's the case. What mm -hmm. you're saying with that frost there is once again, nature always wins. Uh, it, uh, I, Robert, when you said that, I wrote that down, uh, uh, putting mother nature into overdrive. I like that because eventually she's going to win anyway. Yeah, that's a really good point, Kyle. Uh, one, one of the things that's interesting about that is, is when you add carbon to the soil and the type of microcarbons that we're doing, uh, the plants have, have much more defense against stress. But in your particular situation, I absolutely love the frost came and killed the crop crops. It's the first thing I would do is sprinkle prairie food on them and get that carbon and nitrogen right back down in the ground. And then I would go ahead and plant my new ones right on top of it because that's going to increase the SOM dramatically in that field over that period of time. Even though there may be somewhat more cost, you're going to get more than, more than enough return on your investment if you're in the right program that's validated. And, well, well uh, Robert, I, I do have to tell you, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but when I had to replant those crops on June 1st, I wasn't as enthusiastic as you just I were there, but I understand your point. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know explicitly, exactly. We have other farmers who experienced similar things as well. Look, no, I'm so, with you. I'm with you. One yeah. thing we've talked about, and I don't know, Tom, I'll start with you, but, uh, you know, there's been talk about 
the government doing a carbon bank or whatever. Is there any, at you, I see what your level you're dealing with government relations people. I don't know, but share what uh, you're hearing or seeing and how that may uh, potentially alter the private voluntary market that we're seeing. Other, I've got two opinions on that. One is I think the uh, I think there is going to be some USDA efforts around this problem of additionality, Todd, that we're talking about. Um, and guys, just so we define that, additionality is not a rule that we come up with. It's a rule that was established by the buyers of carbon. They said that unless unless that I'm impacting new environmental changes on the farm, then that's what I want to pay for. So that's the term additionality. And uh, that's what creates heartburn for all of us. But I think the USDA, Todd, has kind of taken up the, the mantle that they're going to have those discussions. You know, how, how can farmers that have been engaged in good soil practices, cover crops, till for extended periods of time, how can they participate? Because they're, they're continuing to add carbon to the soil. It's not additionality as the definition goes, but they're continuing to sequester as long as they keep green growing crops on that acre, right? Now, so I think that's one of the key pieces that's coming up. Um, I, and look, I think there's going to be some other opportunities that uh, that the USDA may, to help, may be able to help with. But one thing that I think we need to be fully aware of, though, guys, uh, carbon is a global discussion. It's not just a U.S. discussion. USDA only impacts what we deal with here in the U.S. It doesn't impact the global market. And, and Kyle, as he was talking about selling carbon and the value of carbon, there will be much more carbon opportunities on a global scale than will be just in the U.S. So we need to keep that in mind that the USDA can impact and maybe help us with some processes here, or maybe they can fill the gap for us on soils research and some of those things that we're really lacking information on today that is extremely expensive to fill the gap with. But uh, we are dealing in a global marketplace, not just a U.S. marketplace. Ben? Yeah, that's a really good point, Tom. And, and I think uh, the USDA is, is probably more of a hindrance than a help in this instance. But uh, one, of the, one of the problems in the global market is a standard index. And one of the problems with having these VERAs and these other certification processes is each of them own their own index and they audit their own books. Now, if you did the same thing and audited your own books and purported your profits, where the hell would you be? You'd be in jail. So these boys that are doing this, is, it's, it, it's, it's shady at the best. On the other side of the fence, if there were a mechanism where a carbon, a centralized carbon index was kept, and let's say, for example, it was the Fed. The Fed uh, sets the interest rates for ag banks. It does all the, keeps track of all the interest rates and, the, and the, the movement of cash up and down. If the Fed also had easements that were attached to the carbon index, so all of those verification programs played against the same index, in going forward, then it would be more of a fair opportunity for the farmer. And from that perspective, if we were able to get global acceptance of a standardized index that was simple, okay, then we could measure exactly the amount of carbon that's being put into the air. In the, uh, in, in the world, there's 12,800 million acres of ground that's under, under cultivation right now. They're growing crops on. If you raise the SOM 1%, 
in that in that farm ground that's being cultivated now, not the ones that's getting des desertified and everything else, but just what's cultivated, you would get you would gain uh, 181 gigatons of carbon. You would solve the whole carbon program in 30 days. And that's the thing that when you talk about scale, people do not realize the scale of what's going on. And being able to raise that, that, that SOM moves, Mother Nature can move so much more carbon than our little, little machine that has a straw on it that the US government spending $3 billion on in order to remove one metric ton of carbon a year. It is absolutely ridiculous what's going on in this whole scale. And I think that's where we need to all get together and support is being able to look realistically going forward at how we make this simple and how we clean up the damn planet. I mean, we're the ones that got us here. How can we clean it up? And I want my grandkids to have a great place to go fishing and I, and I want their children to have a great place to go fishing and breathe clean air and not eat some poison food. Hell, farmers won't even eat the food that they grow. It's, it's so damn loaded with herbicides and nitrogen and synthetics and crap. We need to get back to a more realistic way of, of creating nutritious food in a way that mother nature benefits and the farmer benefits at the same time. And yeah, Robert, we can do that by speeding it up. Yeah, Robert, I just, I'd say like, I, I totally agree with like some of the big picture stuff we've been talking about here. Same with moving the registries, you know, policy, all that. There's a lot that's going on, but I, I keep coming back to Todd, that first question you asked, should I wait right now? What should I do as a farmer? And, and I think the way Kyle described it best makes a heck of a lot of sense to me. And I can't come back to like go or no go in terms of does it pencil out? Does it make sense agronomically? One area where the USDA, there were some announcements today, there might be some, some money coming down the pipe in terms of a significant increase in conservation funding that might be able to tip the scales to go try something out, to learn and to see if something's right. And so I think we could be in an inflection point for your guys' listeners out there in terms of, you know, are there, are there some helps to go, you know, test something out? At that point, then it's like, should I be in a carbon program? What's the right one? Am I going to get locked in on a price? How hard is the data management? And am I generating a real credit? And so when I look at where we're sitting, all of us here, and I respect the heck out of the other, the other folks in the room here and, and even the folks that aren't here, like we need that competition and we need to make this more like a grain market where it's something where, you know, hey, we all got to go compete, get the best darn deal for a farmer and make sure that a farmer is not being artificially locked in. So yes, tell your folks to go take a look at a contract. Um, but I think amongst almost everyone right now, like you're starting to see us, you know, come together and get out of contracts. Um, make sure we compete and make sure those incentives are aligned. And uh, for your folks, I mean, I think it's actually becoming a heck of a lot simpler. Um, you know, figure out the deal that's right for you. You don't got to solve all the other problems. And we'll, we'll keep working our tails off, but we also just need to work within the framework that we have to bring some net new dollars into the industry. Yeah, well, the, re the real problem is that the big players and big ag in the industry are going to try to commoditize carbon just as they've commoditized all their crops. And when you do that, you have a fixed price for a product that could be differentiated. And I think that that is a, that's a flaw. You know, that's a beautiful thing about competition, I mean, sir. That's a beautiful thing about it, right? Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's all about competition and how many gazillion billion dollars does, I mean, it's, it's, it's way too top heavy the way it's set up now, but that's changing because the consumer is the one driving you to do that. And uh, that's what will change. And thank God for the internet, because now people can become more informed. So um, I think there's a, there's a wind of change coming and we'll see it. And uh, I hopefully uh, can help contribute to that change.
Yeah, bouncing off that a bit, obviously, I think the change is obviously coming after listening to everybody talk. I think we focus a lot on plant 2022. And I want to talk about the commoditization a lot, say 15, 20 years down the road. Um, I think it's going to become a point everyone's probably doing carbon, uh, doing these practices. What happens when everyone's doing it? Are people, are people going to start paying for the carbon still, or is it going to be worth anything? Um, a lot of these premium crops, will they be around? Will they be paying a premium on those crops? Um, cause a lot of those practices now is what getting the premium crops. So I'm just wondering hey, 15, hey, years on the road. Hey, Jordan. Yeah. Let me, uh, I'll really stir the pot up here with this one. Um, yeah, I agree. And that's the reason this is for next generation agronomy. So we're talking, you know, how are you going to prepare the farm, leave it better for the next generation? I mean, I argue with Todd all the time. My personal two cents, I think they blockchain the farm. I think you're going to get carbon credits go away, go bye-bye eventually. And I think you're going to buy direct. If Patagonia wants you to grow cotton, Jordan, that carbon credit is going to be built into already the price of the crop. It's all going to be into the blockchain. You're going to have the blockchain on the farm to know what your practices are, know what your carbon sequestering is. And I suspect at some point the government is going to turn their turrets and there's going to be no more paying you to do what you should be doing and do a good deed. No one pays you not to litter. You get fined not to litter. The government started off paying people to go and do a homestead act to clear trees. Now they tax the shit out of you on the same land that you took. So I'm telling you, when the government starts to look at the debt problem, they're going to turn the turrets. There's going to be people in the Senate and in the Congress, and it's going to say, no shit, no, we're going to give credits for this anymore. This is what we should be doing in the first place. This is incentive to make you do the right thing. Once that period phases out, that's why I agree with what you guys are saying. You need to act now and you need to get in on this thing because once they phase that out, I'm telling you, the turrets turn and you're going to get, it ain't going to be tax credits. You're going to be getting sh sh rifle shots at you because you're doing the wrong practices and they're going to come at you. And, and I think like uh, Robert's saying and the same that Ben's saying, the consumer is going to date it. And who's the consumer listening to? Patagonia, Chipotle, all the bullshit media that we hear from all these companies. They're going to, they're going to promote it. And it's going to be packaged into the crops that you're going to be forced to grow. And you better be doing best of practices and you better start transitioning now into best of practices. Jump on the bandwagon and get the credits while you can get them is, is my theory. I mean, hell, fail quick and often. Like I always tell you, the guy that fails the fastest and, and bounces back and re I mean, he's a guy that knows the most shit and learns the most and, and makes the most things happen in life. So I say, get in there. You listen to, uh, you, you listen to Kyle on here. Kyle said, hell, he got in. He made a bunch of mistakes. I tell everybody the only reason I'm on stage is because I, I made more mistakes than anyone else. Probably. <laughs> I've had more screw ups. No, you don't. I do. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so I think you get in there like the guys are saying, you get in there. I love what Ben said. Make sure you're not roped into some crazy long, long commitment. You get in, you sprinkle, sprinkle around a little bit, find you somebody that fits, fits with what you like. If, if you can't handle it all, Hey, pass it off to Cortez. Pass it off to Nutrient. Let them let them walk you through the steps. Uh, and if you find another setup that's better, jump in there. But I think Jordan, like you're saying, 15, 20 years out is so hard to forecast and predict. I always tell Todd, paralysis by analysis. I think people spend too much time trying to overanalyze the shit, and then it just confuses your thought process. And then what happens? 
you shut down because you feel you don't know enough. You feel like you're not smart enough and somebody's going to outfox you. So you just shut it down. Well, I'm telling you, jump your ass in the water, just like I taught you kids how to swim, drew your ass in the pool. <laughs> and, and, you know, you're going to have to fail a little guy. Well, and Kevin, there's a ton of options. There's a ton yeah. of options out there. Exactly what you said. You know, I, I always tell guys, I said, you know, there's, there's easier systems and there's harder systems and, and, you know, the pain for the grower, it just all depends on how much pain you want to want to prevail. And, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's programs that, that just pay for practices that are pretty easy to enroll in and they, and they don't probably pay you enough, but you know what? They're pretty easy. Uh, and there's other programs yeah, that pay you more. Earning curve up yeah. And there's other ones that pay you more that are probably more painful to be in, but you know what? You earned a little bit for what, what you did. Uh, I, I I'm, I'm with you. Um, but of course, you know, I'm a guy to jump in right away too. So I'm probably a bad, bad test case. Yeah. I like what Kyle's saying too. I mean, you're basically getting paid for the learning curve um, on that front. I mean, it's coming down the pipe instead of being forced to, and then you're getting fined and messing with it later on. I mean, you're getting paid for the learning curve on what's coming down the pipe and how you're going to need to change your farm. I mean, yeah. And, and another thing to remember is the way additionality is currently stated and the way it's currently drawn out at some point, we will run out of additionality if we don't come up with new methods to capture carbon and, and you know, that's right. one, one of the one of the ways that we quantify additionality is uh, it has to be uh, less than 20 percent prevalent in that county. Well, if you think about no tillage, I mean, that's I mean, we are going to run out at some point. So we are going to have to find new ways to sequester carbon and, and new ways to verify it ultimately. I think Tom brought up a really good point earlier, too, on the water rights stuff. Um, nutrients starting to get into that space. And I think that's coming down the pipe next. So, I mean. Mm -hmm. And someone else mentioned, not, you think about nitrous oxide, nitrous oxide is 298 times more powerful in, in the atmosphere in terms of heating potential than CO2. So, um, you know, we often scoff at these, these uh, nitrous oxide reduction projects, but, you know, I don't think we know how profitable some of them might actually end up being. Yeah, guys, we've, we actually in this year, and I didn't mention it earlier, but we've got over 150,000 acres today that are enrolled in a nitrogen reduction process. So we're actually measuring abatement on the farm and we're actually generating a carbon offset from that abatement. So there are, as you said, as you said, Caleb, there's multiple ways in, in the nitrogen piece that we can gain advantages. And once again, when you talk about nitrogen, you talk about phosphates. Now you can get into the water uh, quality issues. And those are going to be, to be honest with you, the water quality issues are probably maybe a better market when it's all said and done than the carbon market will be. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. We've got a lot you of water municipalities right now that have uh, uh, their license agreements require reductions of their phosphate emissions, and they're looking for ways to offset that. So there could be some opportunities in that market. Yeah, but hey, Tom, let me jump in there because I just got off the phone with a guy today on that specific issue, and he brought up specific examples of uh, cities outside of Wichita, and it's all laid on the municipalities right now. It's not laid on the farmers, meaning they got to go spend millions to build that facility, which is going to degrade and be no good in 20 years while we're still pumping nitrogen in the ground. That's exactly right. And look, we, we even... You know, we need to get we need to get a, to start addressing water quality issues too of just the irrigation waters that we're using over the U.S. because a lot of the irrigation water we're using has nitrates in it. We're not accounting for that in some cases. So we're trying to gain get our grower base to understand that we need to look at this nitrogen as a full cycle. How do we manage it and what do we do with it? Right. So 
Uh, as you said a minute ago, these municipalities are being asked to spend millions of dollars in CapEx money right now to improve their, uh, their uh, facilities. And in lots of cases, they just don't have the financial funding to do that. So why not help out, a, have a grower uh, reduce phosphate uh, usage on the farm or maybe have some practice changes on the farm that will drive uh, lower exposure to the environment. So all of those things can lead to, lead to good value propositions for the world. Yeah, well, I still think the, the grower is, is culpable and just ask the city of Des Moines on Jackrabbit River up there, they're suing the farmers and the hog, hog for $60 million because they had to build a damn plant down there to, take, to make the water clean. And I think that is going to spread radically because you're exactly right. The cities don't have the funds or the wherewithal to be able to clean this up themselves since they're not the source of the problem and ag is. And uh, that's one reason why organically binding carbon, nitrogen, and phosphate is important because it no longer volatilizes in the sun and it's no longer modal in water. And if you can do that and get back to whether mother nature is, all of a sudden, now you're eliminating or beginning to eliminate the problem of runoff and volatilization, which takes care of the methane issues as well. If you if you deconstruct that biomass before it has a chance to de start decomposing. And I really do believe, guys, that managing phosphate levels on the farm, as we said earlier, sustainability is is all about gaining revenue opportunities for the grower, but through the practice of sustainable ag. And if we can help the grower recognize that he can reduce phosphate levels by using uh, efficiency fertilizer bases or things that uh, uh, do increase the microbial activity in the soil, all of those are positives to a soil health metrics. If we can increase soil health, then we increase uh, uh, the quality of produced and the overall productivity of the crop and at the same time we can help reduce the environmental exposure of the phosphates and the nitrates that we're we're using so we're all about that in ways that we can help the grower and that's why we're trying to work with our key customer accounts and our overall customers uh, to lead to these practice changes on the farm yeah we're talking about all these other uh practices and whatnot and do do we think they start to tear the grain we produce such as uh, this, this, uh, this farm produces this much carbon, reduces this much water, and reduces this much nitrogen. It's like a tier one. Then you got a tier two. Doesn't produce as much carbon, doesn't reduce any water, but it does, uh, does a fair job reducing nitrogen. Then you got your tier three. Do we think it starts to move that way? Or? Well, what we're seeing right now is... I think it goes deeper than that. You don't have to have a tier. Uh, with the blockchain and the, and the science put in place, we can measure the exact amount of carbon and, and communicate that to the consumer. The consumer will vote with his wallet. And essentially what we can do is tie the carbon program back to a specific piece of ground to the consumer where he can get a loyalty program going that votes for this type of product that has less, less footprint. And if we can get it to that level, which I'm sure we can, we're already working on interfaces for the consumer side, uh, that, that's gonna happen quickly. And uh, you know how the adoption rate is on a, on a TikTok or something on the other side of the fence going in with these, these damn 30 year olds that, that know how to run a damn computer. I mean, it's absolutely fabulous. And that's who's gonna drive this. It's not gonna be us old guys or us big companies. It's gonna be, 
it's going to be the younger generation making this happen, which is exciting. Yeah, I think the, yeah. the one the one thing I maybe just caution us on is you know you know where where does where does corn and soy go today? And a very small amount of it goes direct to the consumer. And there's been right. talk of you know the next next wave of traceability for a long time. So Robert, again, agree on a I think I agree with you on a different time horizon. And yes, blockchain's there, but like it's really darn hard to even get to a supply shed or, or a general area. So I think I'd also say, you know, what, what do we know that's going to happen? And then just acknowledge the fact that there's a boatload of dollars coming in to help on quantification that'll help, you know, bring it down to grain to what you're saying, Jordan, or biofuels or, or things like that. But, you know, I think it's kind of make sure you establish the option value for you so you can actually go you know, do something for your farm, but you don't have to go solve all of this. We've talked about a lot of complex, you know, futuristic stuff. At the end of the day, Kyle's points are right. Like, know what's happening on your farm. Do you know? Just crush your agronomic decisions. Gather some data, and you'll be in a good spot. Now, I think another important thing to note is if we do get to a point where we can have that grain traceability, and if we do get to a point where corn that has a carbon neutral footprint gets a premium, well, those of those farmers who are already in a carbon program, who are already accounting their greenhouse gases, are going to be much better positioned to participate. Uh, with, with getting that premium for a carbon neutral grain, if that does happen. I think you see Ritz already has it like a carbon neutral cracker. So, you know, if, if millennials want to buy, pay a premium for a carbon neutral cracker, well, they'll, they'll be the ones who dictate that. So, you know, that's just an important thing that remember, if you do think that you're going to be selling carbon neutral grain, uh, you know, the accounting, you have, you, being able to prove that it's carbon neutral is a big part of it. Exactly. And, yeah. So the, the, the next piece of advice is from, from a grower standpoint is, Figure out a, a, get yourself in this, get your data ready, figure out a program that's right for you. But when's the best time to be a verified grower? 20 years ago, same time you should have planted a tree. You know, yep. I mean, get get in, get in early so that when there is an opportunity like that, man, you've proven that you can, you can go through the verification stages necessary to have a Ritz cracker, right? Yeah. And I think another thing that I we, we, we keep talking about a reduction in nitrogen. And one thing I think is important to bring up that we often forget is that, you know, the goal here is not ultimately to reduce the amount of nitrogen we're applying. It's to become more efficient at applying it. A lot of people are surprised when I tell them that soil organic matter requires more nitrogen per carbon than corn does. We think of soil organic matter as 58 percent carbon. Well, there's also a lot of nitrogen within it. And a lot of times what happens when we try to cut back our nitrogen rates right away is what's called the priming effect. And the priming effect occurs when you start to get all this residue built up on the surface and all these microbes that, you know, were, you know, have been nuked by tillage for many years and monocropping, they don't have the capacity and they don't have the nitrogen to break down that residue. So they start actually mining native soil organic matter to get more nitrogen out of it. So this is called the priming effect. And so when we're thinking, we, we don't want to cut back nitrogen rates right, right away. We really just want to find the most efficient way to apply it because, you know, if you want to build soil carbon, you need nitrogen to do it. Yeah, but you don't need to have it come from a, a source that goes straight to the plant. You can go, you can have it come from the soil. There's plenty of nitrogen in the soil to feed all the plants for a couple million years without putting any more down. And mm -hmm. I think that's one of the big falsehoods that's been put out there by the big companies is you have to be able to put all this end down in order to get, get the crop cycle to the point. Well, all you've done is kill the carbon in the soil. You moved it from 10.0 down to 1.5. And that's what, that's what determines the mineralization rate of the N in the soil is the SOM. And I agree with you. Yeah, getting that, getting that SOM up to about five, you don't need nitrogen anymore. Hell, we don't want to reduce it. We want to eliminate it. We don't, we don't need that crap anymore. Mm -hmm. 
and it just, it's just, it's an equilibrium, right? Soil is a living system. So it takes time to reach that equilibrium to the point you don't need to apply additional nutrients. It doesn't happen right away. And, and, on, and honestly, it usually takes three, four, five years after you start, uh, you know, if you look at the literature. So it's another important thing to keep in mind. It's a good point, Robert. We're trying to do it in two years. I got another one too, a little further out on the horizon, maybe a little bit in the woods a little bit, but uh, will there ever be a point that there is a carbon marketplace say that people can buy and trade carbon? Like do it today. Will be able to, farmers will be able to put it on the marketplace and it, 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 it's similar to the crypto fad. Like I talked to anyone outside of ag, they don't know what the hell carbon is, what, what's even going on. I mean, the only reason we're in the loop, I think, is because we're on the forefront of it. Does it ever, which was similar to crypto, I mean, crypto people knew what was going on there. I mean, is there ever going to be a point that a farmer can put their carbon credits on a marketplace and anybody off the street can buy it and sell it and do what they want with it? Yes. Yes, there is. And you, and you can do it today in Europe. You can't do it here in the United States yet, but you will be able to. And they, the carbon trade is the carbon in Europe started trading a month ago on the open market, and it's trading at $65 a ton right now. So it, there is a market for it, and it's trading actively. There's a good demand for it, and it will go up. I think we'll see the same thing here eventually, but it's going to take a singular source index, just like they have in Europe, so they can validate that all the carbon is the same. It's not this vera carbon and this cirrus carbon and this gold standard carbon and this nori carbon or whatever else it is. It's gotta have a, have a single source. And the best way to measure that is with soil tests. And it's easy to measure, it's not hard. And all you gotta do is, is do it. It's not cheap. I didn't say it was, it's easy, but it's not cheap to measure. <clears throat> A big problem with that would be, Jordan, is that a lot of these buyers require what's called permanence. And ideally, the soil carbon will stay in, in the soil for 100 years after the project has been stopped. But there's what's called a monitoring period after the after the uh, credit or the contract actually ends when we have to continually monitor the soil organic carbon. And we typically do will do that with remote sensing um, after, after the contract has been complete. But that would sort of be the biggest impediment is that these registries have to assure permanence. Um, so without the registry, which I know the registries have given us a lot of stress, but that is ultimately what they, they function to do is as a third party verifier to, to uh, you know, make sure that these credits are valid. Yeah, I, I would disagree with that. I, I would really think that if we have a single source like the Fed in order setting this carbon index, that index is indeed have permanent label to it. Because if you go below that index that you've set, you're going to pay it back. Or when you sell your property, there's an easement against it that has to be paid back before your property can sell, just like there is with a mineral right or a water right right now. And that's mm -hmm. all handled through the banking system, more or less. So that that is a, that's I think that's that's an opportunity. And the and the Vera right now is 30 year on the on their permanence. I think on 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 doing their validation, which it used to be a thousand year. It went from a thousand to a hundred to now it went to 60 and now it's to 30 for this validation on these new programs they're coming out with, which I think is still way too long, but it needs to be day traded. And that's where it'll end up, I hope, um, because we'll let the consumer vote with buying whatever products they wanna buy that people are making sustainably. 
Well, the one thing we have to keep in mind, guys, is without uh, without registries or validation, verification bodies, all these things, it, it seems like it complicates it. But what it actually does is it creates confidence. Uh, we don't want to be working uh, or trying to guide a grower into a, a revenue opportunity that's going to create him a risk po uh, possibility down the road. And yeah our risk uh, to be in, inferred. And I think, and you would agree with me and, and Caleb too, these uh, bodies and even, even us as uh, companies that are working in these projects, we assume a certain amount of risk with these. Uh, we, we require buffers and we require lots of different things that are built into these programs in case a grower has to till a field that he didn't plan to, or in case a grower uh, can't plant cover crops on the given year that he had, he had, he had promised he would do based upon his contract. All of those things are built in right now, and uh, the uh, the developers or aggregators of these uh, programs assume that risk. And so, um, uh, you know, when we sell, when a carbon credit is sold, the buyer of that carbon credit is dependent upon what he's being told as to the quality levels of that credit. Uh, and if we cannot guarantee that, he buys it not just for this year. He bought that as an offset to his inventory or an offset or reduction to his inventory. And if that credit is not valid for a period of time, then he has falsely claimed that on his own ESG reporting. So we have to make sure that there is, there is a level of permanence and certainty around these credits that are generated. Ben, would you agree with that? Yeah, I was going to follow as soon as you did, Tom, like it starts with the money. And uh, I, I, I say this a lot internally. Um, I got a lot of great scientists, especially that say, hey, I got all this data that says it. And I just say, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what Corteva thinks. It doesn't even matter what the industry thinks. Where's the money coming from? Follow the money. That's going to be where we go. Now, good science is going to help a lot. And so will a higher price. And then we can use some different financial mechanisms to make it easier on the farmer and simplify. But uh, I think we got to be pretty open-eyed about uh, what we can control versus uh, everyone just having an opinion. Absolutely. So, yeah. so what happens exactly to these credits, say, once uh, it goes through everything and Microsoft ends up buying the big amount? What, what happens to the credits after they buy them? They retire it, and then it, yeah. can't, be, it can't be used Oop, again. Goodbye. Yeah. That'll be through the register. Those they are, are retired, and they are. Microsoft has has been measuring their carbon footprint over time, and I'm saying this because every industry is having to do this today. So I'm assuming this is what Microsoft is doing. But Microsoft is measuring their carbon footprint. I think if you probably go to the website, they'll even tell you what their carbon uh, initiatives are as far as the removals or what they're trying to get to as far as environmental change. And uh, when when a carbon credit is generated and Microsoft, let's say, buys it, then they take it and they retire that credit. It's forever gone, can't be used again. And that's why there's a need for permanence for that credit. It has to maintain its value over, over a time period. And, and one of the big problems when you don't have a registry is this thing called double counting when two different countries claim the same credit. And that sort of augments this whole issue of not being valid. So you know, that's really what the registry functions to do that each one of these in each standard is going to have a registry. You can almost think of the registry as the bank, right? It, it's, uh, you know, they, they move in and out through, through through the bank and through the registry, but the bank ultimately or the, the registry can retire it to make sure it doesn't go anywhere else. So that's how it's sort of been described to me. Yes. Hey, yes. Jordan. Jordan. 
Let's yeah. make sure you and your younger cohorts fully understand. It's all about money. I mean, I get tax credits every year because I own some CNG fueling facility. I get tax credits because I own freaking this part of ethanol. I get tax credits for this over here. It just goes to offset my taxes and money I made, though. You see what I'm saying? So Microsoft goes out. Uh, Tesla, the reason we bought the Tesla stock so early when we did, because I, I mean, I had tons of conversations. They, they cashed in a billion dollars last year on tax credits that they had sold through carbon credits. It's, it's To me, it's all kind of bullshit. It's just... Guys, it is a marketing shell. It's total. It's bullshit. moving the shell around. It's moving right. the shell around to create less income for people who are creating a carbon. So when you see someone say, "Oh, my company's carbon neutral," oh bullshit! Oh, you just bought some carbon credits over here from a guy and put them on your taxes and got a tax break and a tax reduction to offset it. It's just a bullshit game of moving these freaking shells around in my opinion and creating something out of nothing and now using that as a tax incentive and a tax write-off and that's what i'm trying to tell you the tax credit they said a politically correct way to say it. oh the tax credits are retired oh yeah okay great they're burnt but we all know why this shit didn't work the last time around because accounting people were using double tax credits people were double dipping they were using tax credits that didn't even exist guys were making shit up we've been down this carbon road many many times and it always fails because I'm a rocker. There is no one standardized process. There's a bunch of loose ends, and it all comes down to greedy people trying to offset tags with all these crazy carbon credits. I mean, I've had to redo my taxes the last five years because of these CNG fueling and these different investments I'm in. Shit, nobody knows the tax law. Then they change, and then the rules get, and then it's like, oh, hey, Kevin, by the way, you're getting a bigger tax credit. And shit, I think I've gotten more tax credits than I may have put in the damn thing. I don't even know. <laughs> I can't even figure any of it out. I'm like, these tax credits are crazy. So, yeah, Jordan, companies who are polluting or creating a carbon footprint go buy the tax credits from people that are selling them, carbon credits, and then you use that to offset your carbon footprint but in all reality, if they weren't getting a tax reduction from that, nobody would buy shit from nobody and nobody would be getting nothing. So yeah. I'm just telling you, it's, it's all because of tax laws and rules to try and reduce and create more climate and a better climate, which is a good thing. Hey, Kevin, I got a question. I got a, you, you bring up an interesting point that I think is really important for everyone. Like what, what's yeah. different now between Chicago Climate Exchange? And I don't know what you guys think, but for me, when I looked at it, that was a pre-compliant speculative market. There was the expectation of the Obama cap and trade. People were trying to get ahead of it. And as soon as, you know, Republicans took back the, the House and, you, you know, you had you had the Tea Party come back, you know, that legislation wasn't going to pass. And so all this pre-compliant speculation fell apart. Today, we're seeing real transactions. Like all of us have, have buyers. I mean, I think I, I'm looking. Yep. We, we all have a buyer. At least we're not all eating our own dog food somewhere out there like some players are. And so there's real transactions happening. So I guess that's what me, like for me, like saying to, to my buddies, like back home, I'm like, hey, I got like, I see real money changing hands as opposed to before where it was pure speculation. I'd be curious what you, what the rest of you all think, what you think, Kevin, because I think it is different than before. Yeah. And, and everything Kevin no, said, I, you know. Oh. Yeah, no, go ahead. I would just say my one thing. I always go back to the simplicity of it all. If the government were to do away with the, the tax laws, would any of these big companies buy your tax credits? Hell no, they wouldn't buy any of them. They wouldn't give a shit less about carbon credits. If there was not incentive to write that off and to reduce my tax bill, <laughs> nobody would have, nobody would buy any carbon credits and nobody would give a shit about them. And so your market would collapse and fall apart, Jordan. 
So you're one big political move away from that. And that's where I'm a driver. You got to have the government step in somehow and create this standardized something because they're ultimately the ones that are going to have to back the damn market and, and, and have to have their skin in the game to solidify, like Tom says, to create that counterparty risk, the government has to be backing it, in my opinion. And they have to have yeah. a platform that's unified or something addressed. So Agreed. otherwise, there's just too much hokey. There's just so much hokey shit involved and too many smoke and mirrors for a lot of people. You guys know, I'm not saying anyone on this panel is involved in anything like that. But we know where there's opportunity. And as Ben says, there's, not, there's all kinds of crazy shit out there that's that just that that weakens it all for everyone it 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 can ruin it all for everyone like we've seen happen before i just say because i got smoked about 10 12 years ago robert now i invested in in some different things when carbon was really hot again maybe 12 years ago i guess 12 13 and uh boy there was going to be a carbon market and like you were saying there was going to be all that shit i I mean i just gave that money away i couldn't i don't think i could burn through it fat what i capital calls and everything never saw a dime back so I probably have a sour taste because I feel like there's more traction this time, but man, there's still so much uh, fragmentation and like, or I would say no one unified platform. And no, it's just, I go back to like you guys say, look at cell phones. I mean, shit, we didn't really take off or anything until you had a unified, unified platform. I mean, until you had Android and I, you narrowed it down, you just had two. And then all of a sudden we started building apps. We started building things. We started to really take off and do some things. Uh, and, and I always go back to that. You need that unit. And same in ag. Everyone's trying to build a big platform. And I, we need it. We really do need it. And I hope that happens in this climate, uh, or I should say in the uh, in the space. I'm going to shut up and let you go ahead, Ben. I, I jumped in on Caleb, too. Jump in. Give your opinion. Oh, all good, man. No worries. Um, all I was going to say is all that, you know, all that stuff is, is more than likely true that you're talking about. But, you know, ultimately what, what Ben and what, you know, all the other people in this space want to do is make sure that, Farmers can at least see some, you know, share of the pie. You know, we want it to be equitable for farmers. So all that could be true. It all just might be a marketing scheme, but we at least want growers to profit off of what they're doing a little bit. And even if it is all a big marketing scheme and, you know, by uh, closely observing the contracts and making sure that, you know, you're protected from some of this stuff. If, if it does grow on most of these contracts, I'm assuming, uh, you know, state that if there is some sort of government intervention that renders the current program useless, well, they're, you know, a good contract will say that there's not risk to the farmer in that case. So, you know, even if, if the government does step in and tries to take this over, most of these contracts have it written in that the grower will not experience any financial penalty because of it. Yeah. You didn't early get in often, man. Yeah, you, you guys yeah, like I'm talking about all the fancy forward. stuff. I just keep it to like, what what's relevant today? And like, what can we all do about it? I'll, I'll leave all the smart stuff to, to all you all. Yeah, and guess one thing I would say is, and Robert made the point a minute ago, let the that consumers will determine, you know, follow the money and what the consumers willing to pay for. Well, investors are the same thing. So, uh, you know, all of these uh, all of these companies that are making uh, environmental claims today, or are looking at buying offset credits, they're they're not looking just to offset their own footprint, but they're looking at their investors who are asking for. Uh, companies that are green today. Whether you agree with that or disagree with that doesn't really make any difference because the marketplace says I'm willing to invest in companies that have a green strategy. It's it's around the money. So uh, 
want investors to keep working with you, then you develop a green strategy and you attract that green investment group to come work with you. And carbon is one of the driving factors that helps those different industries be able to manage their carbon footprint. So that is, that's some of the driving part. That's why there's suddenly a value around carbon today. 10 or 12 years ago, Kevin, you made the comment, you know, it didn't happen. Well, there weren't buyers at that time. People just didn't work coming and, and have a reason to be engaged. Today, investment dollars and, and pushes toward uh, green economies are driving a value creation for carbon. So that's just where we are today. That's just the difference from 12 years yeah. ago. You know, and, and uh, hey, of, us, of us all in, in ag too, guys, we have a unique opportunity here for, for one point. You know, the polar opposites of uh, the spectrum that our country is on right now, we have an opportunity in ag here for one time to agree on one subject for very, very different reasons. Very mm-hmm. different reasons. We don't have to agree on this for any reason that it was even the same. But the, the uh, can you think of one topic in our country right now we can all agree on? It, and, and it can be for unbelievably different reasons. And because you can be in one camp and you can be in another camp, and I can I can argue both sides of that. In fact, I now I can't. I can argue only or, or argue one side, my side, because I think that's right. But it doesn't really matter. We can all agree on it. That's right. Absolutely. As long as money, yeah, as long as money is flowing, like Kevin would say, as long as money is flowing, man, everybody's going to agree on something here. Yeah, well, Tom, let the millennials buy the carbon neutral crackers. Right, yeah, Tom. Twelve years ago, Tom. Twelve years ago, there weren't studies out that said this one just kills seventy percent of millennials and Z's have serious anxiety and stress over climate change and carbon. <laughs> I'm like, holy, I'm with you. I mean, that's where you're seeing all the Wall Street. I mean, that's right. the kids are putting all the money in. And, you know, as the kids put money into Wall Street and they got to diversify into ETFs and other funds, uh, you're seeing it. You're seeing it across the board, whether it's baked meat or plant-based meat or uh, clean energy and carbon sequestering, whatever it may be. And, and the kids are the ones putting the money in and us older folks are taking money out. And, hey, I, I agree. That's where the money's going and, and follow the money. And it's uh, it's the it is definitely the story of our time. So uh, I think you got to jump on the bandwagon and take advantage of it and ride that uh, train rather than try and fight it uh, or regardless of your beliefs, like everyone's saying. I mean, I think it's definitely a tailwind for the next 10, 15, 20 years. And uh, I, you know, I think, hell, I think it's, it's, I think there's definite opportunities, big opportunities. So I, Kevin, I there's everyone. one thing, one thing I would finish with guys is, is sustainability at the farm level. Farmers have practiced sustainability for years. It's not like this is a new thing for farming, okay? Now's an opportunity, Kevin, or Kyle, as you said a minute ago, can we gain a, is it time to cash in on some of that? Maybe it is, right? But maybe, maybe it's the time. But here's the key. Sustainability, consumers are asking for today, and they're going to drive this coming down the, uh, uh, the pike. I looked at a survey the other day. Did you know that consumers today are willing to pay 167% more for their cat food that was produced sustainably? Now, <laughs> guys, that says it all, does it not? Does it? <laughs> yep. And so yeah. that's where we are today. And our farmers need to be able to gain access to those values. And we need to be working toward that. I, I couldn't agree more. Let's... uh. 
Let's wrap up. We've taken everyone's time. I love this group, though. I, I hope all of you can come to FarmCon. Shit, I'll have you all on stage, and we'll get up there in a Texas cage match and hash this out and let, the, let some of the farmers. <laughs> this is too tame. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I want to be. Yeah. I'm to the point now. I'm to the point. I can't. I can't climb up on the top rail anymore. So. <laughs> Fine, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think, I think we'll have a lot of farm. you know, we're gonna have a lot of farmers in the yard, but I think a lot of people have a lot of questions and really find a lot of everything you guys are saying, super, super, uh, you know, important and, and worthy of sharing. So I'm, I love it, Todd. I appreciate you getting everyone together too. And Jordan with the questions and love having everybody. If we can do anything to help you guys and we'll share anything we can with you and, you know, anybody, Todd, final comments. No, I think everything's been said that needs to be said. I appreciate everyone's time. I'll definitely be in touch to carry on so I can keep going down my rabbit holes, but uh, we'll definitely get you guys back at some point. Yeah, I'll shoot right, you guys, guys out a little something for helping us out. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you something out. And uh, I, Yeah, I love it. Thank you guys very much. Certainly appreciate yeah, it. Enjoy it, guys. Thank you. It's been fun. Thank you, everybody. All right, see you guys. All right, thank, thank you. Thank you, y'all. See ya.